my friends. Do you think that God does not know what you need? He who knows what we lack also knows and prevents our desires. And so, when he taught his disciples to pray and warned them not to use many words in prayer, he said, Do not use many words, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. If our Father knows what we need before we ask him, why do we use even a few words? What is the use of prayer at all if our Father knows already what things we need? He said, Do not pray to me at great length, for I know what you need. If so, Lord, why should I pray at all? You do not want me to use long prayers, but instead you even bid me to use almost none at all. Then, what does that precept in another place mean? For he who said, Do not use many words in prayer, said in another place, Ask and it shall be given to you. And so you don't think this precept to ask was given carelessly, he added, Seek, and you shall find. And so you don't think that this too was carelessly given, see what he added further, see with what he finished. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He would have you ask that you may receive, and seek that you may find, and knock that you may enter in. Seeing that our Father knows already what we need, how and why do we ask? Why seek? Why knock? Why weary ourselves by asking and seeking and knocking to inform him who knows already? And in another place, the words of the Lord are, Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. If men ought always to pray, how does he say, do not use many words? How can I always pray if I'm so quickly done? Here you bid me to finish quickly and there, always to pray and not to lose heart. What does this mean? Now that you may understand this, ask, seek, knock. For this purpose the door is closed, not to shut you out, but to give you exercise. Therefore, brethren, we should strongly encourage prayer. You have no other hope amid the manifold evils of this present world than to knock in prayer, to believe and to maintain the belief firm in heart that your Father refused to give you only those things which are not good for you. You know what you desire, but he knows what is actually good for you. Imagine yourself under a physician and in weak health, which is actually the truth because this life of ours is all weakness. Imagine yourself then to be sick under the physician's hand. You have a desire to ask your physician's permission to drink a glass of fresh wine. You're not prohibited from asking, for it might not do you any harm, or it might even be good to receive it. So do not hesitate, go ahead and ask. But if you don't receive, do not take it to heart. Now, if you wouldn't act that way in the hands of a man, the physician of the body, how much more in the hands of God, the physician, the creator, and the restorer 
both of your body and your soul. So see how the Lord in this passage encouraged his disciples to pray when he said, you could not cast out this devil because of your unbelief. To encourage them to pray, he added, this kind is not cast out except by prayer and fasting. If a man must pray to cast out devils from another, how much more must he pray to cast out his own covetousness? How much more to cast out his own drunkenness? How much more to cast out his own luxuriousness? How much more to cast out his own impurity? How many things there are in a man which, if they are continued, prevent admission into the kingdom of heaven? Consider, brethren, how a physician is asked for the preservation of temporal health. If anyone is desperately ill, is he ashamed or slow to throw himself at the physician's feet? To bathe in tears the footsteps of any chief physician? And what if the physician says to him, You cannot be cured unless I bind you and use fire and the knife? He will answer, Do what you will, just cure me. With what eagerness does he long for the health of a few days fleeting as vapor? For it, he is content to be bound and submits to fire and the knife and to be watched that he neither eats nor drinks what or when he pleases. All this he will endure, that he may die a little later and yet he will not endure ever so little, that he may never die. If God, who is the heavenly physician over us, says to you, Will you be cured? What would you say but yes? Or it may be that you would not say so, because you fancy yourself to be in health, that is, because you are more grievously sick. If we consider two sick persons, one who implores the physician with tears, the other, in his sickness, ridicules him. He will hold out hope to the one that weeps and will disapprove of the one who laughs. Why? Because the sounder in health he thinks himself, the more dangerous his sickness is. This was the case with the Jews. Christ came to those that were sick, and he found them all sick. Let no one flatter himself on his healthy state, or the physician will give up his case. It is the apostle's judgment that he found all to be sick. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He found them all sick, but there were two sorts of sick people. One came to the physician, clung to Christ, heard, honored, followed him, and they were converted. He received all of them without disdaining any. He healed them gratuitously by almighty power. When he received them and joined them to himself to be healed, they rejoiced. But there was another sort of sick person who had already become infected through the sickness of iniquity and did not know themselves to be sick. They mocked him because he received the sick and said to his disciples, What sort of man is your master who eats with tax collectors and sinners? 
And the one who knew what and who they were answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And he showed them who the well were and who the sick were. I did not come, he said, to call the righteous, but sinners. If all are whole, why has so great a physician come down from heaven? Why has he prepared for us a medicine not out of his possessions, but out of his own blood? Those sort of sick people, then, who had a milder sickness and who felt themselves to be sick, clung to the physician so that they might be healed. But those whose sickness was more dangerous mocked the physician and abused the sick. Where did this frenzy take them? To seize the physician, bind, scourge, crown him with thorns, hang him upon a tree, kill him upon a cross. Why do you marvel? The sick slew the physician, but the physician, by being slain, healed his patients. First on the cross, not forgetting his own character, and manifesting his patience to us, and giving us an example of love to our enemies. As he saw them raging round him, he said at once to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now do you think that those Jews were not malignant, cruel, bloody, turbulent, enemies of the Son of God? Do you think that that cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, was ineffectual and in vain? He saw them all, but he knew among them those that would one day be his. In a word, he died because it was expedient that by his death he might kill death. God died that an exchange might be effected by a kind of heavenly contract that man might not see death. For Christ is God, but he did not die in that nature in which he is God. For the same person is God and man, for God and man is one, Christ. Human nature was assumed that we might be changed for the better. He did not degrade the divine nature down to the lower. Instead, he assumed that which he was not. He did not lose that which he was. Inasmuch then as he is both God and man, being pleased that we should live in his way, he died in our way. For he had nothing that could make him die, and we had nothing that could make us live. What was he if he had nothing that could make him die? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you look for anything in God that might allow him to die, you will not find it. But we who are flesh all die. We are all men bearing about sinful flesh. Look for anything in sin that will allow it to live. It doesn't have it. So then, neither could he have death in that which was his own, nor we life in that which was our own. But we have life from that which is his, and he has death from that which is ours. What an exchange! 
What has he given and what has he received? Ancient commerce was only an exchange of things. A man gave what he had and received what he didn't have. For example, he had wheat but had no barley. Another had barley but no wheat. The former gave the wheat which he had and received the barley which he didn't have. It was simple. The larger quantity would make up for the cheaper quality. So then one man gives barley to receive wheat, another gives lead to receive silver, only he gets a lot of lead to receive only a little silver. Another gives wool to receive ready-made clothing. There are countless exchanges, but no one, no one gives life to receive death. The physician's voice was not in vain then as he hung upon the tree. In order that he might die for us, because the word could not die, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He hung upon the cross in the flesh. There was the love by which the Jews were delivered. For them it was said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that voice was not in vain. He died, was buried, rose again, and having passed forty days with the disciples, he ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Ghost to them as they waited for the promise. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, whom they received, and began to speak with the tongues of all nations. Then the Jews who were present, amazed that uneducated and ignorant men, whom they knew had been brought up among them, should, in the name of Christ, speak in all tongues. They were in astonishment. And they learned from Peter's words where this gift came from. He who hung upon the tree gave it. He who was derided as he hung upon the tree gave the Holy Spirit from his seat in heaven. They of whom he had said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, heard, believed. They believed and were baptized, and their conversion was affected. In faith they drank the blood of Christ, which in fury they had shed. Therefore, to finish this discourse with what we began with, let us pray and let us rely on God. Let us live as he encourages. And when we stumble in this life, let us call upon him as the disciples called, saying, Lord, increase our faith. Peter both put his trust in him and stumbled. But he was not disregarded and left to sink, but was lifted up and raised. Where did his trust come from? Not from anything of his own, but from what was the Lord's. How? Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. For the Lord was walking on the water. If it's you, bid me come to you on the water. For I know that if it is you and you bid me come, it will be done. And he said, come. Peter went down at his bidding, but in his own weakness he was afraid. Nevertheless, when he was afraid, he cried out, Lord, save me. Then the Lord took him by the hand and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He first invited him, then he delivered him as he stumbled, that it might be fulfilled which was said in the psalm, 
If I said my foot has slipped, thy mercy, O Lord, aided me. There are two kinds of blessings, temporal and eternal. Temporal blessings are health, substance, honor, friends, a home, children, a wife, and other things in this life in which we're travelers. We stay in this life as people passing on and not as owners intending to remain. But eternal blessings are, first, eternal life itself, the incorruption and immortality of body and soul, the society of angels, the heavenly city, glory unfailing, father and fatherland, the former without death and the latter without foe. These blessings let us desire with all eagerness. Let us ask with all perseverance, not with length of words, but with the witness of groans. Longing desire prays always, even if the tongue is silent. If you're constantly longing, you're constantly praying. When does prayer sleep? When desire grows cold. So then, let us beg for these eternal blessings with all eager desire. Let us seek for those good things with earnestness. Let us ask for those good things profit him who has them, and they cannot harm him. But those other temporal good things sometimes profit and sometimes harm. Poverty has profited many, and wealth has harmed many. A private life has profited many, and exalted honor has harmed many. And again, money has profited some, honorable distinction has profited some, profited them who use them well. But for those who use them poorly, having them has harmed them more. And so, brethren, let us ask for those temporal blessings too, but in moderation, being sure that if we do receive them, he who knows what is expedient for us gives them. You may have asked, and it has not been given to you. Trust that your father would give it to you if it were expedient for you. Judge in this case by your own self. As your son, who does not know the ways of men, is in regard to you, so are you who do not know the ways of God in regard to the Lord. Your son cries to you all day to give him a knife or a sword, and you refuse to give it to him. You will not give it. You disregard his tears, because otherwise you would have to bewail his death. Let him cry and beat himself or throw himself upon the ground. He wants you to let him ride a horse, but you won't do it, because he doesn't know how to govern a horse. The horse could throw him off and kill him. To whom you refuse a part, you're reserving the whole. So that he may grow up and possess the whole in safety, you don't give him that little thing which is full of peril to him. And so, brethren, we say, pray as much as you are able. Evil is everywhere, and God has permitted it. If only evil men did not abound, then evils would not abound. Men are saying... These are bad times, troublesome times. Well, if our lives are good, then our times are good. We make our times. Such as we are, such are the times. But what can we do? We cannot, it may be, convert the mass of men to a good life. 
but let the few who do give ear live well, and let the few who live well endure. Let them endure what they do not want, that they may come to what they do want. Why do we blame God for our sadness? Evils abound in the world in order that the world may not engage our love. Great men, faithful saints, despise the world with all its attractions. We're not able to despise it, even disfigured as it is. The world is evil, very evil, and yet it's loved as though it were good. What is this evil world? The heavens and the earth and the waters and the things that are therein, the fish and birds and trees are not evil. All these are good, but it is evil men who make this evil world. But because we cannot be without evil men, let us, as I have said, while we live, pour out our groans before the Lord our God and endure all the evils that we may attain to the things that are good. Let us not find fault with the master of the household, for he is loving to us. He bears us, we don't bear him. He knows how to govern what he has made. So do what he has asked and hope for what he has promised. <laughs>